John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and parted again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, sorry, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? I already read that. Are you, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you have spoken truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking to her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, 
Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and said to him, or came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples came to one another. Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. And both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have not entered into their labors. Verse 39, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, that you're so faithful. You give us what we need. Lord, and you minister in ways that we have no idea how you do those things, Lord, but we marvel and are amazed at them. So we pray that your will would be done through this passage. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Um, He's changed my text. I don't know if you notice that. Um, I thought he might do that someday on me. Um, He's gracious, because I have taught this passage a few times, but that's not the concern of, for me, is, oh no, I'm not going to be prepared, or not, you know, whatever. I just want to, want to be led by the Spirit, and uh, he's made it really clear, and I'm sorry I get emotional when his Spirit comes upon me, or I see him working, but I know that he's so gracious to interrupt us for specific reasons. It's not just to have us be more dependent upon him because we're out, way out in like, what do we do? We're in, we're in faith land so far, like we can't even see the shore. You know, and he just, he does stretch us and he does help us with, you know, growing because he puts us in positions where we have to be dependent upon him. He loves to do that because he knows that we grow, but so often when he changes things up, oftentimes it's for very specific reasons and he knows everyone's situation. He knows our lives. He knows what we're going through. He knows what's going on in the room. He knows what came in, who, who brought what in the room in terms of their lives and what's going on and you know, all those things. He knows all those things. And so that's why in our lives we have to be flexible and be able, be willing to let him to redirect us at any given moment. And so when he does that, I know that he is, um, he's doing it for a really good reason. <clears throat> I don't know what that reason is. But I, I love this passage. We've, you know, 
our very first Sunday was this passage. Our first Sunday in our previous building was this passage. And our first Sunday in this building was this passage. I don't know why he keeps bringing us to this passage. I mean, I can guess. I can guess that he loves the lost so deeply. He wants us to have the lost as a priority. So much so that it, 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 it becomes to do his will, like Jesus talked about here, It's like our food, that we are willing to do that. We're willing to do whatever he wants us to do. And you see his priorities in the passage. You see that he is so concerned about those Samaritans. Now, the background of the Samaritans, if you're not aware, they were, they didn't, the Samaritans didn't like the Jews. The Jews didn't like the Samaritans. It goes all the way back to the first, when when Israel was taken into captivity, or actually where they were carried away, displaced into by the Assyrians. And then they, the Assyrians, they were famous for doing this. They brought people from their land and integrated them into the, the country that they conquered. And then they would assimilate and then they would, the people would be um, divided in their focus and their, their allegiance. And it would, it would help prevent fu- future rebellions and uprisings and all of that. And so the Samaritans were, were looked at with disdain by the Jews. They were looked down upon. It's kind of like how... Um, you know, just stereotypically, I'm not saying everyone believes this way or thinks this way, but people that are in metropolitan areas or, or big cities, many times they look down on people out in the country, you know, or uh, vice versa. You know, Galilee was the, was the place where Jesus was from, but people in Jerusalem looked down on those people that were from the Galilee area. I mean, at one point, one of the future disciples said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, it, was, it had this reputation. So the Samaritans weren't liked and, and, and all of that. And here Jesus, you know, we're told at the beginning of the chapter in, um, in verse 4, he says, but he needed to go through Samaria. And that's the key to understanding the whole chapter. He needed to go through Samaria because he is always seeking and saving those that are lost. He wants to save people. He knew the Samaritans were loved by God and by him. And, and, and they wanted, he, you know, the, the Lord, I mean, the Lord wanted the, the Samaritans to know him. And I love the fact that he comes to this woman who she's, she's meeting at a time. She's going to the, 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 the well at a time where you wouldn't go to the well. You wouldn't, you wouldn't do that. It would be the heat of the day. And, and so it was, it's likely that, she, we don't know for sure, but it's likely that she was an outcast, that she, you know, we, Jesus reveals kind of her lifestyle and all those things that she struggled with and everything. Notice he doesn't condemn her, doesn't put her down. He's revealing her situation because it's bringing conviction for her to help her see her need. She's trying to change a subject. <laughs> she's trying to like, okay, well, what about worship? You know, you Jews say that it's here and, you know, like the whole, she just wants to get it off her. Sometimes when we preach the gospel, the last thing people want to hear about is Jesus and they don't, they don't want to talk about those things. They'll, they'll talk about anything but that. And all of a sudden there's some, you know, there's some other subject they need to talk about or something else uh, that they want to do or someplace they want to be. I understand that. I remember that. I remember when people would share with me, and it didn't happen too often, um, but when they did, I wanted to change it. I was uncomfortable. And so here, this, this woman, this Samaritan woman, she's, she's had all these relationships, and she's tried to find fulfillment in relationships. 
She's tried to, she's been married multiple times. And, and she's given up on marriage, and now she's living with people and all of that. And, and again, Jesus doesn't condemn her, but he reveals the truth about her situation, that he knows the truth about her life. And, that, and she goes, I perceive that you are, you're a prophet, which is a, a, a great revelation. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And she talks about our fathers worshipped on this mountain. In Samaria. So they changed their whole history. They believe that Moses received the law on the mountain that was in Samaria and all these things. They only believed in the first five books of the Bible. There's a lot of distinctions that they had related to the, what they believed in their culture and all of that. And Jesus isn't getting sidetracked on any of those things. And that's a good lesson for us related to sharing our faith. He doesn't get sidetracked. He deals with it. He talks about it. But he's always getting back to their need. And that's what he wants to do through us. He wants us to get back to their need. People like to put up smoke screens. You know, they like to put up, you know, things that distract us away from what we're saying and all of that. And they want to bring up, you know, how many angels is it can dance on the head of a pin, you know, or can God create a rock that he can't lift? You know, and they're throwing that right in the middle of you sharing the gospel. And you're like, I don't know. He hasn't revealed that answer to me. I mean, but the point is, Jesus died for you on the cross. You know, as we're thinking about Billy Graham and him going on to be with the Lord and all of that and his funeral happening this week and the gospel was preached and unbelievable. If you can watch that on YouTube, I'd recommend that. Just what his, his daughter and his son said. But Franklin Graham, anytime he's interviewed, will always talk about the gospel every single time. Like he cannot talk to any platform or have any platform and not preach the gospel. He just does. And, and that's, we need to take advantage of every situation that we have related to the gospel and not get sidetracked off of all these other things. We're told in Romans chapter 1 verse 16 that it's the gospel that's the power of God to salvation. So it's, that's the power of God. It's people getting saved. We just have to communicate the simple gospel. We don't have to talk a certain way with our evangelistic type, you know, um, accent or, you know, you know, all this fancy stuff. All that matters is we're just preaching the simple gospel. The simple gospel is that Jesus died, was buried, and he rose again the third day. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And, and he wants us to trust in what he did on the cross on our behalf. Because we, we can never believe in God enough. We can never be religious enough. We can never be a good person enough, go to church enough to do any works that would undo the sin that we've done. Because good judges don't let people offer their crimes because of any community service that they, they did or whatever. Someone commits murder, someone does something serious, they, they convict them. They don't say, oh, you, well, before you did that crime or after you did that crime, before you got arrested, you gave blood. So, hey, you're off the hook or whatever it is. You know, you, you gave money or whatever. It doesn't undo the crime. So if we wouldn't respect a judge that wouldn't punish people for their crimes, why do we think that God's going to let us off the hook apart from having his, you know, looking at his son and what he did for us as a payment for what we've done against him? He won't. And it wouldn't be just for him to do that. And we get our sense of justice from God. The reason why we wouldn't like a judge like that is because God has given us a sense of justice that he has placed in us because he is like that. So I love the fact that, you know, there's nothing, she hasn't been so bad that he's beyond the reach of God's grace as we sung about. 
She's had all these relationships. He's in, you know, he doesn't condemn her, but he brings up all those things to her and, 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 and reveals that he is the Messiah to her. I mean, there's nowhere in Scripture that I'm aware of where Jesus plainly says that he's the Messiah as clear as he does to this woman that's, that's had all these issues and trying to find fulfillment and relationships and all these things. He just comes and reveals himself to her. And, and it, you know, he says there in verse 20, I who speak to you, Am he. So she already knew about the Messiah in verse 25. I know the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. See, there was a prophecy in, the, in Genesis right away when man fell, God prophesied about a coming Messiah. In, in the law, he talks about a prophet's going to come like, like Moses. So even though they believed in the first five books, there were plenty of things for them to trust in and to look forward to and, and, and know that the Messiah is coming. And she knew that. And he clearly says, I who speak to you am he. We need to say clearly that Jesus is the Messiah. When you say that Jesus is the Messiah and when you demonstrate that he was, you've proven everything else. Because if, if he's the Messiah, then... Everything he said is true. If he's the Messiah, he's God in human flesh. If he's the Messiah, he's the, he's the one that died for our sins and the only one that could fulfill all the prophecies in the Old Testament. So if Jesus isn't the Messiah, nobody's the Messiah. But at one point in his public ministry, <laughs> they, he said to the Jews, he said, I come in my Father's name and you don't receive me, but one will come in his own name and you will receive him. Talking about the Antichrist that's coming, the one world ruler that's coming to this world. He, there is going to be a one world government. There's going to be a one world ruler. There's going to be a one world currency, electronic currency. There's going to be a one world religion. All that's coming. We need to see that that's coming because it's coming. We're not going to face all that as Christians. We're going to be snatched out of here. And the, and the Antichrist cannot come and be revealed who he is. That's why people, who do you think the Antichrist is? You think it's um, so-and-so or so-and-so or whatever? I'm like, I don't know. But we can't know because it's, we're not going to know who the Messiah or the Antichrist is until the one who restrains is taken out of the way, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. So we can't know that. So why waste any time? How many people are we not preaching the gospel to? How many Christians are we not serving? How many things are we not being a part of that we should be because we're focused on all these peripheral things that we have no business getting into? It distracts us. And so we have to stay focused on all those things. So we need to clearly say, Jesus is the Messiah. And people say, well, I'm a Gentile. That's not relevant to me. No, it is relevant to to us. Non-Jews, Gentiles, need the Messiah just as much as the Jews do. In fact, with Jews, you have to tell them, you, you know, you're in just as need of, of forgiveness, even though you're trusting in this, you know, this law that, you're, that you used to have in terms of being, it being something that you can try to you know, erroneously be justified by. But God hasn't called us to be justified. We can't be justified by the law. And we, have, we need a Messiah. And the, the Gentiles receiving the Messiah by the millions and millions and millions Paul writes in Romans saying that that's supposed to provoke jealousy to the Jews. They need to see that all that we enjoy, and it's supposed to provoke jealousy, and it's supposed to help them receive Jesus as their Messiah as well. I saw a video recently on Facebook 
And if you haven't read Isaiah 53, I highly recommend reading that because it's like reading the New Testament. It's so amazing, vividly describing 740 years before Christ was born, the Messiah's death. And they have a norm, Jews have a normal reading schedule that they go on, and that reading schedule does not have Isaiah 53 in it. And when they read it, it's powerful. And I saw a video of, of some Jewish Christians sharing Isaiah 53 with Jews and having them read it and asking them questions and all of that. It was so powerful. I was in Israel doing that with a, a shopkeeper. We were debating and haggling over merchandise like they like to do. And we had him read a Hebrew uh, Old Testament. And he, we had him read Isaiah 53, and he said, oh, you're, you know, I don't believe in Jesus. And we said, who said anything about Jesus? We didn't say anything about Jesus. And he, then he realized it was so cl- obviously clear that it is Jesus. He said, I don't want to talk about this. What are you going to buy? You know, and then we're haggling, and he's like, I can't pay that price. Here, take my keys. Here, take my keys to my shop. Here, he's like all, you know, dramatic, you know, like, relax, guy. You know, we're, we're good. We're good. We'll buy this. We just don't want to pay your prices. I mean, there's a reason why you guys are famous for being doing, being you know, good business people because you're you're shrewd, um, and I'm not going to be on the short end of that <laughs> transaction. So it's great to be able to do that. Now, in verses 27 through 38, it's really a lesson for the disciples, um, and we're told in verse 27. And at this point, his disciples came. And they marveled that he talked with a woman. Because, see, that wasn't normal. In that culture, men usually didn't talk directly to women. But especially a rabbi would never talk to a woman. So they're shocked about that. (laughs) And yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? They didn't want to ask those questions. But they were wondering. Verse 28. The woman then left her water pot went her way into the city and came to the men said to the men come see a man who told me all things that I ever did could this be the Christ now this is slightly an overstatement she didn't I don't remember reading where Jesus went and said everything she ever did but see he touched that cord The whole reason why she was, or how she was trying to get fulfillment was through relationship. She thought that was the answer. If I could just get the right man, I'll be satisfied. But her heart was broken over and over and over again and let down and having these expectations and being let down and all of that. And so when he talks about all these relationships she's had, in her mind that meant everything. In her mind that constituted everything she ever did because that was the focus of, of her life. She was trying to find fulfillment through relationships. And so she says that to them, and and we're we're told in verse 30, then they went out of the city and came to him. It's about seven miles, verse 31. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. So there's a consistent theme through the Gospels when you're, and I love studying the disciples. Because they're, they're, they're such boneheads. <laughs> and it reminds, it reminds me so much of myself. I mean, they just don't get it. Jesus purposely didn't go out and get the cream of the crop, religious 
scholars and went to their official schools. He chose fishermen. He chose a tax collector. He chose those guys on purpose so that when he did an amazing work, we're told in scripture they turned the world upside down, they wouldn't be, or the world wouldn't think it was them, and they wouldn't think it was them. They would know it was God. And God chooses the foolish things of this world, we're told, to confound the wise, to, to, to make everyone marvel. You remember Peter, or uh, Stephen rather, when he gave his whole discourse to the Sanhedrin before he was stoned to death, they, were, they, they, were un, they, were un, they couldn't believe the wisdom that came forth. And there's things in that whole, dis, that whole sermon that he gave, or his whole discourse, that we learn all kinds of things about the Old Testament. It's not revealed anywhere else. They said about the disciples, you know, they could, they could tell that they'd been with Jesus. They had that wisdom. So he had the wisdom to choose those kind of guys, just like he has the wisdom to choose us. So when he uses us, he gets the glory. He had the wisdom to use them, but the problem was they were a work in progress. Doesn't that bring you comfort? It brings me comfort that they're, they were a work in progress. You know, God gets a project when he saves us, a long-term project. And he's okay with that. And he's patient and he's gracious. And so I love this that, you know, they're saying, Rabbi, eat. They're always on the physical plane. They're always thinking in the physical. They're not thinking of the spiritual, the eternal, all of that. They would incrementally learn that over time to be focused on the eternal and the things that are the most important things. But they're so focused on on the physical. And they're saying, Rabbi, eat. Oh, thanks, guys. You know, so grateful that, that, you know, you're here. Also, I just starved to death. You know, it's like you didn't need them. But and then he says something very powerful in verse 32. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. What, what, what could he be possibly talking about? That, you know, they're, and they say right there in the next verse, you know, um, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Like someone slipped him some Pop-Tarts or something. You know, it's like, who could have done that? No one could have done that. But they're so into just thinking on the physical and what's possible in, in terms of what man can do. And, and, and so he says, but I have food to eat of which you do not know. What is that? What is he talking about? What is the food? He, does, he didn't have a little knapsack with something. It wasn't, he didn't hide food away. He had food, spiritual empowerment and, and grace in that sense. He was full of grace and truth. He, he was busy about his father's business. His father's will for his life was the most important thing. Jesus said at one point, I always do that which pleases the father. That's what he's working towards in our lives so that we can increasingly say that. None of us in this room can say that. But he always did that which pleases the Father. At one point he said, who convicts me of sin? Who convicts me of sin? There was silence then and there's silence today. Doesn't matter how much you hear people slander and oh, Mary Magdalene had a relationship with her. All this garbage. He He didn't have any sin. He doesn't have any sin today but his food was to do the will of him who sent him and what was the food what was the priority lost souls that was the that was he said i I, i've not come for the for the the people that are well i've come for the sick his his he wanted people to be saved he want desperately wants people to come to know him to have a personal relationship with him and, and that's, that's what his, our priority should be. He wants us 
to have our priorities increasingly be his priorities. He gave us the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 to go into all the world, preach the gospel, making disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, not preaching, teaching them to obey all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's our great commission. As it's been said, it's not the great suggestion, it's the great commission. Either we obey it or we disobey it. And all of us need to increasingly be concerned about obeying that great commission. Who do we know that doesn't know Christ? What neighbor do we have? What relative do we have? What person that we meet? What, how much do we care about their spiritual condition? How much do we care where they go for eternity? When that heart stops beating, there's no second chance. And he knows that. And he sees all these lost people. He wept over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I have wanted to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. He, he came to his own and his own received him not. And, and he just wants to save people. He wants us to be equipped. That's why I love our class that we're having and how many people are taking advantage of that class. And God's going to raise up so many people equipped to share their faith through that class. And people are going to come to know Christ. And, and it, I'm just so excited about that. But we don't have to take that class. We can just, if we know how to share our faith, great, or whatever it is. The point is, he wants us to be available. And you know, all of us can have a decreasing concern for lost people. And we get so, uh, you know, they like to say the phrase, you know, fat and happy or fat and sassy. I don't know what it is. You know, but, you know, we just get comfortable and we're fine. And we have to re remember that sin is like a deadly disease, but infinitely worse because it has eternal consequences. Not just physical consequences, eternal consequences. And if we had the, 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 the vaccine for a, a, a deadly plague that was going through our world... We would be so concerned about taking that, being inoculated and taking that, that, that uh, answer, that ana, ana, whatever it's called, antidote or, you know what I'm talking about, the, 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 the serum or whatever it is. So, you, but then if we were saved by that, vaccine. If we were saved by that, can you imagine yourself just saying, you know, I'm okay, I'm, I'm good, my household's good, I'm happy. I'm, I'm, I have plenty of food on my table. I'm, you know, my family's doing great. I don't really care if any of the people are dying around me. I mean, honestly, think about it's eternal consequences that people have. Now, we can't save individually. We can't save everyone around us. It's not, God doesn't put all that on us. And ultimately, it's between them and the Lord. We're not the only one that's going to possibly share with them. You know, all those things are true. But he wants us to have an increasing burden for the lost because he does. And we can't be like Jesus and not care about the lost because he cares about the lost. He's actively seeking and pursuing people. Aren't you glad you know the Lord here today that he pursued you and he didn't give up and he kept coming and kept coming and kept coming to you and kept coming, bringing whatever. Most people hear the gospel, I think, seven or eight times before they receive Christ. What if we gave up after the first time? Maybe you have been, you've shared with family members, you've shared with people that you know multiple times or whatever, and, you, and you've given up. Don't give up. Keep praying for them. Be faithful to pray for them. Model for them the Christian life. 
Let your life be so attractive that they just want to hear about what you have. You ever had someone do that? I've had people do that in the past, at jobs or whatever. Like, there's something different about you. I like 80s, you know, old commercials. I don't know, what is it? I don't know what's about me that you like or whatever. You know, I, I, I like Pop-Tarts, you know. Um, they're like, no, 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 and I'm just joking with them. And it goes better than it just did here, but um, when I joke with them. But, um, you know, I'm just, you know, just talking with them, and they're, they're drawn to something in me. And what it is is they're drawn to the Lord in me. They're drawn to the Lord, because it's not me. Trust me, the, per, the person that I used to be, no one would be drawn to. So that's what it is. And, and so they love the fact that, that um, we have something different and they want to hear. But don't give up preaching that gospel. Then he says, just what I had quoted, he said, Jesus said to him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and f- to finish his work. I want you just to notice the word finish there in verse 34. We, talk, we sang about grace earlier. We sang about God's amazing grace. The word grace is connected to the word finish. Because Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It's the word he said, it was to telestai. It's the word they would use to say a debt has been paid. And they would do the stamp and the whole thing paid in full. He said it is finished on that cross. He wants us to focus and meditate and take comfort in and trust in the fact that his salvation is a finished work. He didn't say to be continued. You know, I did this, now you pick up where I left off and you, you know, work you know, earn your salvation. No, he doesn't say that. It's finished. It's finished. He paid, in, he paid it in full. All of our future sins have been paid for. The sins that we haven't even committed yet have been paid for. That's grace right there. And he says, I've come to do that work and to finish his work. And he did. Then he talks about the timing of, of preaching the gospel. Notice in verse 35, he says, Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already ripe for harvest. This is interesting because the Samaritans were famous. In fact, there are still some Samaritans left. They still wear their traditional garb, and their garb is is white. And I believe, and I can't know this, but I believe that they were coming from that, that, that city and they, Jesus is pointing to them as they're approaching and they're, in their, they're dressed in white and he's using them as a, as a, as an, as a metaphor about our, the spiritual harvest. Because when things were ready to, to harvest in, in certain crops, they were white. They were ready. There were, there were blossoms or whatever. There were things that demonstrated on the outside. And he's talking about seasons here because he's saying, don't you say there's four months of the harvest? There's a time for sowing. There's a time for watering. And there's a time for reaping. And there's appropriate time. They were, and he's going to talk about that in a second, but they were on the receiving end, the, the reaping end of that. They were, they were on that whole cycle, they were on the reaping side of it. He's going to get into that. Um, But he says, look up your eyes. I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they're already white for harvest. Jesus said, 
that pray to the Lord of the harvest, that he would send workers into his harvest field. He owns the harvest field. He wants us to go and be willing to go work. And most people don't want to do hard labor. Just in general, we don't. But he says we're supposed to go out to his harvest field. The harvest field is not in the church building. Is, is, and you can preach the gospel there. People get saved there. Wonderful. The harvest field is out. Out there. We're supposed to go out and preach the gospel. And he says, look, behold. You know what behold means? It means consider carefully. That's what it means. Consider carefully the harvest field. Look at it. Now let's, let's look at it. As a church right now, let's look at the harvest field out there. What is it like? It's filled with people that don't know him, that are lost. They're increasingly hopeless and helpless. They're not experiencing any kind of unconditional love whatsoever. They were believing lies out there. They're only seeing a sliver of what's going on out in the world. And they're mostly seeing that sliver in terms of the news from a very narrow perspective. And they're being fed a worldview that's contrary to scripture. They're, being, they're bound by sin. They're, they have no hope. They're, they're in bondage to sin. They can't get free. They're, they're all these things. They're, it's getting so apparent that the gospel needs to go out so much more aggressively. I believe as we get closer and closer to the end, we're going to see more and more just works of the Spirit and people getting saved. I mean, in the book of Revelation, when we studied that verse by verse, we saw how many times God was trying to reach the world, even through all that time of judgment. Because he keeps saying, and they would not repent. And they would not repent. And when they would not repent, that shows that God's eye is on people's souls, even when he's pouring out his wrath on this earth. He's still trying to save people. And in the Gospels, when we went through Matthew and Mark, we saw him trying to reach the Pharisees who are opposing him. And going and, and standing against him, he was still trying to reach them. The whole parable of the prodigal son. The older son is Jesus, the whole, in that account, the, the older son is Jesus trying to reach the Pharisees. They were the older son. And he's trying to reach them. He never gives up. And we shouldn't give up either, ever. So look what he says here. He gets into the whole aspect of sowing and reaping in verse 36. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. That both, notice the word both, both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. He says he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. And both he who sows and he who reaps rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you, now the word sent there is the word apostello. It's the word we use for apostle. Apostle is a person who is sent. Apostello is sending somebody. And he's saying, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. In other words, everybody's sharing in the process. Somebody sows in someone's life the gospel. Again, usually you have to hear it a handful of times. 
And, and then life has a way of, of helping us along. And God, you know, allows us to reap what we sow. And we realize that we're doing a pretty bad job of running our lives by ourselves. And, you know, I just need to surrender and say, uncle, and submit my life to him. And let him make my life what he's always intended it to be. But they have to be ready for that. No one can speed that up as much as we want to. We can't expedite that. So there's a point in time where people are ready. Maybe you're here today and you've never received Christ. And you understand it today. Today's your day. You need to receive Christ today. Come forward after the service. We'd love to pray with you to begin a relationship with him. We would love that and help you grow in your walk with him. But we are called to carry that message, the message of hope to people, because this, Jesus is the only hope for people. Jesus is the only hope for this world. Being religious and going through the motions and all of that doesn't change a heart. It doesn't change a spirit. It doesn't make our dead spirit alive and connect us with God that God wants for us to have. It doesn't do any of those things. But even as Christians, we can get, go back into religion. We can go back into rituals. We can go into just going through the motions and all of that, having our heart disconnected from the Lord and not have his heart and in in value the things that he values. And one of those things is the lost. So I don't know if that's why he led us to look at this today. But the point is, you're going to run into people and be on the receiving end, the harvest end, and you can't think, well, this is just me. <laughs> no, it's not. There's a, God's been working that person's life for a while probably. But you're sharing in that harvest because that's how God works. And then the person that sows down the road, they're going to get credit for that because they were a part of that process and they're for sure going to see them in heaven. All the people that we lead to Christ, he's going to let us enjoy those people in heaven. That's just who he is. He doesn't waste anything. Can you imagine being in heaven and being around people? And you all have, we all have resurrected bodies. I mean, we all have glorified bodies. We're in heaven in the New Jerusalem. And we're around people that we, God used to have them be there in heaven. Can you imagine the joy that would be there? He wants us to enjoy every part of it. But we have to be willing to open our mouths. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We can be, a, 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 you know, that whole saying, I understand it, I get it. You know, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. I understand we need to be an example in our lives and we can't just be talking but not living it. I understand that. I get it. But there has to be a point in time where we open our mouth and preach that gospel because faith comes by hearing. And so he's called each of us to that. I'm so thankful that he saved me. I'm so thankful that he's not done with me yet and he's gracious. I need his grace every day. All of us are in that category. But he doesn't want us to hoard all of that and the blessings of the amazing Christian life that we get to live and hoard all those things on ourselves and not focus on the lost world because his eyes never leave the lost world. God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He's still seeking and saving the lost. He's still pursuing people like he pursued Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, I'm going, I'm staying at your house today. I love that. If I ever invite myself over your house, I have biblical precedent. just want you to know that. I'll quote the verses or whatever, and then you'll have biblical precedent for having to forgive me. And you have to, you know, just kidding. But anyway, that's, it's beautiful how he just invades people's lives for his glory, and they're just mind-blown over how good he is. Because to know him is to love him. And we, he wants us to know him in an increasing way so that we can love him more with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength 
and of course, loving our neighbor as ourselves. Those are the two great commandments. And, and, and so, he's so active in keeping us moving towards the goal of being able to reproduce. That's the whole goal of why he makes us into disciples, is that we can go out there and preach the gospel, win the lost, come and bring them back in to be discipled. That's the whole cycle he's set up. But if we're unwilling to do that, we're interrupting that cycle. And we're not going to live the life he's called us to live or be used to the extent to which he's called us to be used. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us. Thank you for making us new creations, those of us that know you in this room. And Father, I I ask now, Lord, if there's anyone here, in fact, if you're here today, every Christian praying, if you're here today, you haven't, if you haven't received the Lord, you understand it more now, and you don't know for sure that if you died, you would go to heaven. I want to pray for you, and I want to lead you in a prayer to trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. I just want you to raise your hand. That's you. Anybody here? I want to pray for you. I want to give you an opportunity. It's okay if no one raises their hand, but I want to give an opportunity. Anyone here? And Father, we just pray that you would help us to be willing to preach your gospel to lost people around us, our neighbors, our family, our co-workers. Give us your heart for the lost, Lord. Thank you for interrupting what we were about to study, to speak to us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.